Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with a Bitcoin boomer, Gary Leland, who organizes and runs the BitBlock Boom Conference every year in Dallas, Texas. I've been to both that have happened uh, so far. It's an incredible conference that I like uh, attending and participating in uh, starting last year. And so we just sat down, shoot the shit. This is a pretty um, laid-back episode, talking about a bunch of different topics, including surfing, uh, Gary's trip to Texas from Charleston, South Carolina when he was younger, and uh, why he started the conference, his experience in podcasting. Gary's been in the podcasting game for quite some time, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. It was a fun one for me. I hope you guys enjoy this. This episode's brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. All right, you already know all about them. They're helping you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats if you so please. Uh, they made sats the standard in the app. You're buying whole Satoshis now, not fractions of a Bitcoin, if you toggle it to uh, denominating your, your UTXO holdings and sats. Um, on top of that, they have Cash App Investing, which allows you to invest in slivers of stonks if you want to. Uh, you have the ability to buy stocks, stonks on the Cash App now. If your favorite stock is a little too expensive, you can buy as little as $1 because it's all connected to your bank account. There's no four to five day waiting periods. You can start stacking sats in and investing today. And hey, Cash App may even be your bank account. They have uh, account numbers and routing numbers. You can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app uh, and ditch old banks if you want to. Uh, Cash App Investing is a subsidiary square member SIPC. And as always, make sure you use the code stacking sats. That's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. When you download the app, you're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Use the code stacking sats. Download the Cash App and enjoy this episode with Gary Leland. I had an immense pleasure sitting down and just having a lighthearted conversation uh, with a very interesting man. Enjoy. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a lovely Friday afternoon, uh, sitting down with a fascinating man, a very interesting man, Gary Leland, founder of uh, the Crypto Cousins podcast, the BTC Podcasters Network, and organizer of the BitBlock Boom conference in Dallas, possibly the only in-person conference that will happen in Bitcoin this year. Gary, Welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Howdy, howdy, howdy. Good to be here. Uh, hadn't seen you in a while. I kind of uh, missed, you know, I told my wife this year I was going to do more traveling to conferences than I've probably ever done in my life. <laughs> I haven't gone anywhere except to Tone Bases Conference, which is <laughs> so, a good conference, but I've been to one conference and this was my year. I told her. Was it unconfiscatable? Yeah. Yeah. It was a good conference. Uh, it was Vegas. I hadn't been to Vegas in so long that, uh, 
it was interesting to go to Vegas. But uh, yeah, it's amazing how this whole year's turned around from I was going to hit maybe a, two or three conferences a month. I was planning on coming up there and doing this in person with you. And right. uh, now I, I've been nowhere. Yeah. And now Bitblock Boom, like you said, will probably be the first conference and one of the only conferences of the year. I mean, you know, because we're pretty much on lockdown here. So. Yeah, hopefully things start to open up. Bitblock Boom scheduled for the weekend of August 29th at the moment. And hopefully things uh things are on the same trajectory that they are now where things will be yep. opening up and we'll be able to meet in person and today is 75 percent day for restaurants up till today it was 50 percent you know i i truly think and, and i could be wrong because i'm not a scientist nor do i work for the government but i feel like they've just said the hell with it let's just let everybody catch it and get it over with as long as we can keep the hospitals so we can manage them you know, and they aren't people in the aisles and people dying like crazy. Let's just let it go. And if it gets out of hand, we'll shut it down. But until then. Yeah, it's how long can you keep people home from work? At some point, you just have to accept the risk. And at least in my mind. It's, well, uh, I don't think you can take them back now. I think you, you've opened it up. People can go to hell with you. I'm not going back. Right. Yeah. It'll be, um, it'll be interesting to see if that second wave ever materializes that they've been talking about. Um, hopefully it doesn't. I have my fingers crossed that it doesn't, but we'll see. And it's according to what news you watch. I was watching national news last night. My watch, wife watches. Um, she doesn't really pay attention to news. She just likes watching it for some reason. And uh, she was watching uh, network news, and they were saying, oh, the, everything's all going crazy in Texas again. And then the local news came on, and it said, hey, we got less cases. You know, people in the hospital and cases are down. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. So I guess it's according to what you watch, though. But I think the rest of the world wouldn't be watching the Dallas-Fort Worth news about Texas. They'd be watching the national news. Yeah, I try to stay away from it all Yeah, as much as possible. Though it's, it gets hard when you're on Twitter. People put it in your face sometimes. Yeah. yeah, people put a lot of stuff in your face. I kind of unfollow people who put too much stuff in my face that I don't care about. Yeah. You know, what, I, do you, what do you care about, Gary? Um, Just having a good time, you know, I'm 65. Hell, what do I got? 20 years left. I mean, let's face it. I'm 65. So I care about going out, having fun, enjoying life. I do what I do because I enjoy it. I work a lot, but you know, I, I don't have to work. I mean, I could just sell my businesses or I could even shut them down and just live the rest of my life. But I do what I, I whatever I do, I like doing, or I wouldn't do it at this point in my life. Well, this makes a lot more sense after our uh, pre pre record conversation where I found out that we we have both lived in the same city before in Charleston, South Carolina, and you were the captain of the surfing team down there. Yeah, we what was that like at the time? Oh, it was great. You know, we would uh, we would go out to the beach maybe on Saturday or Wednesday or whatever day it was, and we would have orange t shirts we'd wear because we were the James Allen Rams. And if we surfed against Bishop England High School, they would have green shirts. It was just mm -hmm. like a surfing competition. You know, we'd go out there and we'd spend the afternoon at the beach. And uh, Mr. Sullivan was the hippie teacher at school. He played music in his class. This was in 72, 71. He played music in his class, rock and roll music, and had long hair. And we all had long hair but back then, though. But, uh, yeah, we'd surf. It was great. I mean, I spent seven days a week, almost 365 days a year at the beach. You know, I had a wetsuit for winter. I mean, I did a lot of surfing. I got a new surfboard two times a year. Yeah. It's uh, 
I've never surfed on Folly. I have family in Myrtle, so we would go up to Myrtle. And that's where I actually learned to surf. And I'd spend summer with my grandparents up there. And I, I surfed Myrtle a lot, but never got to Folly. I was always too young for Folly. I surfed Myrtle, Nags Head, North Carolina. You know, we went up there camping to surf. We surfed a lot of places. We enjoyed it. I mean, that's what we did. I mean, when we were really small kids, you know, we would surf. We'd hike. We didn't couldn't drive, so we'd hitchhike to the beach. You know, with our surfboards, and we only lived maybe six miles. You know, we were on James Island, and we surfed on Folly Island, and we lived like six miles from the beach. So, but it's so funny. Cars back then were so big that we could put our surfboard sometimes in the trunk of the car, and they could close the trunk. I mean, well, I. Uh, it's a funny you mentioned that because this morning I actually went surfing. I got out this morning, uh, and drove to a spot and i wanted to take my car but it was too small i have not got surf racks on my roof yet and so i had to, I had to ask my sister-in-law if i could borrow her car because my board didn't fit in my car what size is your board i got a nine two nine two uh, oh my gosh that's yeah. a big board yeah, or compared to when i was a kid my biggest board I ever had was eight four and at the end i think i had a six one but i got down to my smallest when i was in high school small boards were big i had five foot four was what i had yeah i used to have i used to ride like a five seven but then uh i i grew up and i, I got too big I, i'm like yeah, yeah I'm, I'm like too heavy for those boards now that's the same thing surfer jim said come up to uh when i come up there he'd take me surfing I, gosh i haven't been surfing since 79 um i mean and now i weigh gosh i weighed 165 maybe at the time and now i'm 210 you know so i'm 50 pounds <laughs> overweight and 40 something years older you know i don't know how to do it's um you know it's kind of funny when my whenever i talk surfing my claim to fame i already always claim is i own the first twin fin surfboard on the east coast what really yeah, yeah it was a hobie it was the demo board that hobie sent down and it was like a, nobody liked it and i said I'll try it. I tried it and liked the hell out of it. So I bought it from uh, McEvlin surf shop on the uh, Folly beach. So that's my claim to fame. And I were, and when skegs came out or not skegs, but the uh, leashes for your ankle, mm -hmm. which now that's an accepted thing. I'm sure everybody uses, but we didn't have those when I was a kid. And I remember when the guys who invented those were traveling down the East coast, trying to convince people they would buy them and they stopped by and our surf shop. Cause if we weren't on the beach, we were in the surf shop because it was low tide waiting for waves, right. you know, and answering the phone, how's the waves? And we go, oh, they're terrible. Stay home, you know. But I remember they came and they were uh, showing us this piece of elastic they had that you drill a hole into your skeg because there was no way to hold it on there. And so you drill a hole into your skeg and clip it on there and put it around your ankle. And I was like going, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. Because, I mean, you know, when you lose your board and you're way out there in a big storm, you got to swim all the way to shore. That's a chore. And getting back yeah. out again. And, yeah, I had uh, that uh, I had that experience. I think it was Hurricane Irene or Dennis, I forget, like in 2011 or 2012. Uh, the break was like a couple hundred yards out and my leash snapped and I had to swim in from like 150 yards out. I had to terrible. do that all the time. You know, one yeah. winter, as a matter of fact, I was surfing and I uh, had a, my full wetsuit on and there was a storm because they were just huge waves and I fell off my board and it threw me under and I must have had a really crappy wetsuit, but I was only like 14. I couldn't afford very much. My parents didn't buy anything. You know, I would give the surf shop like $5 a week for my surfboard. And so I had, I guess it was crap, but it filled up with water completely inside the suit. 
I mean, I, I, I feel like it was, if someone had pumped water in the neck. And so I'm <laughs> swimming to shore because my surfboard's up there on the shore. And I'm going, I'm not going to make it. I mean, I'm seriously thinking I'm not going to be able to swim the rest of the distance. And my, I'm, my legs are starting to sink. And I'm going, oh, I, I'm dying. You know, I can see myself dying. And then when I get up to my neck and I'm kind of like, my feet touch the ground. And I was like, oh, cow. If I'd have had to go 50 more feet, I don't think I could have made it. Yeah, it's, uh, that's always scary. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That instance where my leash fell, like I, it, where it broke, I actually broke. I was getting back out uh, into the lineup and a, a rogue set came and just, it was probably like an hour and a half into that session. My arms were rubble, rubber. I just couldn't right. get over the wave. And you're paddling out there the whole time just to stay still normally in the same location instead of being five miles down the beach. Yeah. You know, yeah. so people don't realize that if you've got a tide going from left to right or a current, you're just trying to stay within walking distance of where your stuff is. Well, especially in South Carolina, that, uh, that Southeast chop down there is, is much much heavier than it is up here in Jersey. One of my favorite experiences, our fa- fondest memories, should I say, I had a brand new surfboard. It was Surfboard Australia was real big on our beach at the time. They had a shop. And I just had the surfboard like two weeks. And I traded my old board and he'd give me a credit and I'd do another one. So I always was paying $5, you know, a week forever on surfboards. But anyway, the storm was really bad and the current that was going to the, the south really bad and I stood up and looked, and oh my gosh, I was like 20 feet from the pier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I headed to the pier because I was goofy footed. So I'm headed to the damn pier. And I'm like, holy cow, do I jump off? No, I don't have a leash. If I jump off, my board's probably going to get broken half hitting the pier. So I shoot the pier, you know, on the wave just because I'm too stupid and can't afford to lose my surfboard because I won't have another one. And I come through, and it's like I'm the hero of the day. <laughs> I mean, everybody's going, I've never seen anyone shoot the pier. I'm sure other people have done it, but no one, you know, in our crowd had ever seen anyone shoot the pier. And it wasn't because I was being cool. It was because I was stupid and wanted to keep my surfboard. It just didn't feel like swimming in, <laughs> yeah. breaking the board. Yeah, breaking the board. Swimming in, it wouldn't have been that bad from the distance of the pier. It's just I'd have been out of a $160 surfboard that I still would have had to pay $5 a week for for a few more months. Yeah, I uh, I've never shot up here, so well I didn't do it on purpose. I promise you that. But the, <laughs> but the feeling after I came out and the reception I got on the beach was something I'll remember forever. I can't believe you stopped in '79. You never take trips to Galveston to hop on waves, or no? I sure don't. We moved to Texas, and I probably called my old roommate in '82, and I said, "Hey, see if you can sell my surfboard. I'm never coming back." You know why? Why would you never go back to Charles? Is Texas that good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the, man, the, the Help Wanted ads section of the newspaper back then was as big as the whole newspaper back in South Carolina. I mean, this was the land of opportunity at the time, and there's no state income tax. You know, I, as soon as I moved here, I said, I'm going to try to be a resident of Texas forever. <laughs> <laughs> what, what made you move to Texas? I worked for cable TV back then. Um, I, I worked with the, a sales agency, I guess you'd say, a subcontract sales agency called Southern Services. And we'd go to, cable TV was brand new in the country. And we'd go to new markets and open up the markets and teach people how to be door-to-door salesmen selling cable TV. And uh, we went to, I got on in Charleston, and we went to Miami, we went to Dawson, Georgia. We came here and we were supposed to go to Louisville, Kentucky next. And I liked it here so much, I just stayed here. And it was like, man, that was crazy money. We got paid like, 
I think $20, which it was a lot of money at the time uh, to get someone to subscribe to cable TV. <coughs> Excuse me. And if they subscribe, we, we fill out a form and they give us a check for 20 bucks. We basically got all 20 bucks. But you know, if you went to like, we hit the, the air base in South Carolina. They knew what cable TV was at the air base. They'd lived there. Man, we were signing like 100 people a day. You know, <laughs> we were kids out of school. I mean, it was just, we could sign as many of them. I'd knock on, they lived in these quad places. I'd knock on all four doors at one time. And when they opened, I'd give my spill to all four of them. You know, and uh, we, we were cleaning up. People were buying cars and pay for them in cash. And uh, we were just cleaning up. Was, talk about efficiency, knocking was. on four doors at once. <laughs> I was in the, I think we had a contest that day to see who could sell the most in a day. And if you had to knock on three doors, four doors one at a time, you were really getting slowed down, you know? So we, uh, but, but when you went to areas that knew what cable TV, but then we moved to Texas and we did Grand Prairie, Texas, an old city, old population where we hit first near like the population was, I only ever had three TV channels. I only ever need three TV channels. So then they came up with this thing. It was a dollar to get it for a month. And we still made our 20 bucks. So they thought if they let people buy it for a dollar, they'd get hooked and they'd stay. So we were paying the dollar for them because we were net $19. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a dollar and you don't even need to pay me. Can I just give you cable? Sure. What's your name? You know, because I mean, you know, yeah, that was the craziest move I've ever seen. Telling salesmen they can sell something for a dollar and get paid twenty dollars. I mean, well, is this like during the onset of cable? Was cable just becoming? Oh, it's brand new. It's brand new. Yeah, it actually, I think Grand Prairie, Texas, that small town, was the first town in Dallas Fort. I know it was first town in Dallas Fort Worth to get cable TV. This was cable TV was a brand new commodity. This wasn't selling to. This was selling brand new no one had it everywhere we went they were either old and didn't want it or they go oh my god i've been waiting months for this and it was just you know as many as you could sign up in a day oh well, it's crazy hearing these stories five dollars a week for a surfboard and you're getting twenty dollars per sign up uh uh for selling this cable and it seems like that was a considerable amount of money back in the day and thinking of that today like how how much have prices changed and uh, has inflation? Well, I don't know gone what does a surfboard life? cost today. Mine, I bought mine for like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, they were one hundred and sixty dollars when I was a kid. The entire time, they never went up. From the time I started surfing in maybe seventh grade till I moved out of Texas, out of South Carolina, they were one hundred sixty dollars. Brand new surfboard every year. So yeah, this is early seventies. Yes, sixties, late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. Yeah, but before they took the dollar off the gold standard. Right? Yeah, yeah that's what I'm trying to allude to. Like, while we're yeah. here talking, we'll work Bitcoin into this at some point. But it is just hearing your stories, fascinating to see what it was like back then. Like, being able to rent a surfboard for five bucks. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, you know, it was funny. Cokes were six cents when I was a kid, you know. You know, if you use the numbers on that, a Coke being six cents, that was when I was eight, nine I remember that. It was a nickel and a penny you'd have to put in the machine. And then do how much a Coke is today out of a machine, which is probably two bucks, I guess. Yeah. And then you use that same percentage. What's a Coke going to cost in 40 years from now? Right. And actually, the first 10 years of that, there wasn't any inflation because we were still in the dollar. So it's 30 years that did it, not the 40. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's sustainable. No. Just looking at, we were, I was having a conversation with my cousins the other day, just talking about like high school tuition, like thinking about sending our kids to high school in the next thirteen to, or for some of my cousins, uh, like nine to fifteen years with their children, or nine to thirteen years. And if prices keep going the way they are, if you want to send your kid to a private high school, it's just not going to be. It's not going to be tenable. We sent our kids to public school um, and they did real well at public school. Um, We were in, we had moved, we waited to move because we wanted to move to this nicer neighborhood, but that neighborhood happened to be in a bad school district Uh, because school districts never change here. The school district's always the same. And that neighborhood that we moved to was in Arlington, but they'd put a lake in and the lake was between us and South Fort Worth. And that neighborhood school district was South Fort Worth, which was one of the worst school districts around. So we waited. If you had a sibling in the, once you start a school, you could stay in the school. So we waited until we got into the better school. But you know, our whole neighborhood was private school kids, probably except for my two kids and maybe three or four kids. There's only 80 people in the neighborhood, 80 houses. So there's not a ton of kids to begin with. But uh, my two kids are two of the only kids that I know of that were in their group that got out of college in four years and they went to A&M and OU. They went to major universities. They both got out in four years. So I believe you can get a good education in public school. It's just dependent on the public school, I guess. I completely agree there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, just, I mean, if you want private school as an option, that's getting like the prices are getting insane. That's where I follow inflation is university and, and, in private school because mainly my generation millennials have been fed the idea that to be successful in life, you need to get uh, a college degree. Yeah. I didn't go to college. I didn't go to college. My wife has her master's. My daughter has her master's. My other daughter just has a degree. Um, But I, I didn't go to college. I mean, I didn't even think about going to college. I went right into work trying to start a business. Yeah. You seem very successful and you have your hands in a lot, a lot of things, which is what I, admire about you. You were early to podcasting. Yeah. Uh, you're explaining before we hit record again that you have a, a wallpaper business and a sports sporting goods business as well as everything you're doing with, with the Bitcoin stuff. I have a hard so time what, selling things. I'm easy. I'm good at creating them. I just can't get rid of them, I guess. But I did have podcast movement. That's the, uh, I was a fourth partner in that founder of that. That's uh, was, it's, it is the largest podcast uh, convention in the country at 3000 people last year in Orlando. Um, we were in Dallas this year. We were expecting 3,500, but well, they were expecting 3,500. I sold my share to a big radio network. So I did sell something for the first time. And guess what? It was when Bitcoin was like 3,500 and I bought a lot of Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) My wife was all over my ass. (laughs) How long have you been, uh, into podcasting? Uh, I started in 2004. I say I was one of the first hundred podcasters on the planet. A lot of people say I was one of the first 50, but I'm sure there were other, but I was the first person to podcast from Panama and from Italy and the first person to podcast in a hot tub. And those are my claims to fame in podcasting. Well, let's dive into this. What was it? What were you podcasting about? How has this whole medium uh, evolved since you've been into it? Well, it's like huge now. Um, I was podcasting, you know, I'm a marketer at heart. I mean, you know, so when I first started podcasting, it was for sporting, for sports. I had a sporting goods store. I had several of them. Like I have several things I do now. I had 
the Fast Pitch TV podcast, and then I had the Gary Leland podcast, or the Podcast Pickle Show, it was called. I had a podcast directory. I had one of the first podcast directories we opened up in maybe January of 2005 called Podcast Pickle. I was in Time Magazine uh, in 2006, their list of 50 coolest websites. Um, so I got into that early and that was my main deal as I was known as the podcast pickle P Dilly was what people called me. And so my show was the P Dilly show. P Dilly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. And, uh, that was kind of fun. I met a lot of people and podcasting, you know, no one knew what podcasting was though. I mean, it yeah, was, what a- was, what was the distribution like back then? Um, I don't know if you got a thousand listens, you were pretty damn hot. I can tell you that right now. And everybody knew everybody's pod- Here's a funny story. I was on a plane going to the first podcast convention. Maybe it was 2006 in Orlando, in, um, California, uh, Ontario, California. And I'm on the plane cause there's not many podcasts at the time. Okay. And I hear someone talking like three rows in front of me and I go, Scott, because you're hearing people's voices all the time, so you recognize these voices because you didn't have a lot to choose from in your genre. And it was a guy named Scott Fletcher. He did a, a, a podcast news thing. And, he, and he, I said, Scott, is that you? And I'm like four rows behind him. And he goes, Gary, is that you? And then some guy like five rows behind me goes, hey, it's Joe back here. Hey, Gary. And so none of us had ever met, but we knew our voice. We were all going to the same conference. We knew each other by our voice. You know, That's a... Uh... That's always one of the, like the weird things when I meet people at events or, um, or conferences. They'll walk up to me like without knowing who I am and just hearing my voice. Like, are you Marty Ben? I'm like, whoa. Like, yeah, you know, people listen to your voice, really kind of get that down, make a connection with you. And in, in that case, they definitely. But podcasting was really hard to do back then. You know, you had to create your own RSS feed and put the closure tags on. I couldn't even do it. I had a guy that worked for me, and I said, hey. I think we need to get into this podcasting. I just read a clip about it. And he goes, okay, whatever. And so a week later, we were doing a podcast, and we didn't even know what the hell we were doing. And then three months later, we had a, a podcast directory that turned out to be one of the top directories on the internet until, until Apple came out, and it killed it. And Apple was much better. You know, I even switched to Apple and quit using mine. You know? Yeah. Um, no, it's crazy because I, I listen to a lot of No Agenda and Adam Curry. Yeah, so do I. Uh, I had lunch with Adam like last uh, fall. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Down in Austin. So did you guys know each other back in there? Because he's like known as one of the early podcasters. Well, too, he invented right? podcasting, him and David uh, Weiner, and mm-hmm. basically invented podcasting. Yeah, yeah, I knew him. Matter of fact, uh, at that first conference, we met each other in Orlando at the first conference that uh, I think we both were there. He had a company called Pod Show that he was trying to work where I had podcast pickle, you know, going, uh, that was my podcast directory, but Adams, I, you know, a lot of people say crazy thing about Adam and maybe he is kind of crazy, but I like him. He's always been nice to me. And, uh, he's, he said several things that I think he's been able to foresee and come true. You know, when I talked to him, he has, I think 31 Bitcoin. Someone gave him as a tip. And I think I can say this cause I knew it cause he says it on no agenda. You know, back in the day when it was 50 cents or a dollar, someone gave him 30 something Bitcoin as a tip. And so we were eating dinner and he said, I said, have you cashed in? Because Bitcoin was maybe $14,000 at the time or something. I said, have you cashed in that Bitcoin yet? He goes, no way. I'm waiting. That stuff's going to be a million dollars. But he did tell me, I, I when, like, for instance, when Facebook came, first came out, that stock, uh, 
I was listening to a show because I used to listen to it all the time. I don't have time now. So long a show. Um, but he said, don't buy that Facebook. It's going to drop to 17. You know, basically what he said. And uh, I said, oh, I was thinking about getting it. I think I'll wait and see if he's right. And it dropped to 1788. And I said, well, that's 17 something I'm buying. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, he saved me a lot of money on that call. He was right on that call. Yeah, he's been right about a lot of things. He's uh, he's a good thinker. I love that show. And I think he picked um, out the Pope before the Pope was announced that it would be that guy from South America. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think he said the Pope's going to be him. It's because that's where they need to go and blah, blah. He had his reasoning. So he picks out a few things. I like Adam. Adam's, we, we had dinner. We had a good time. I, every time I've seen Adam, I've enjoyed his company. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's on the list of once for this podcast. I'd love to have him on to talk about everything because he's, he's into Bitcoin too. He sent... He's received Bitcoin from Rodolfo Novak over radio waves. Oh, I didn't. Uh, I knew. Well, he's into that, uh, into uh, radio. You know, I invited him the last two years just because I thought he'd like to come. You know, I sent him a talk once in a while. And he used to talk on Skype. S- Skype, that's something that seems to be a dying company, huh? I, hey, it, the, I'm a little ashamed that we're using Zoom right now, <laughs> considering, uh, yeah. considering what they just, the yeah. Chinese Communist Party. Uh, right told them to censor some people and they i think did. skype i think skype might make a turn a comeback as people turn away from zoom because yeah. of the censorship but uh, no i agree that's kind of crazy but uh yeah i i liked him and like i said i thought he would enjoy coming to podcast movement i mean to um block boom because i got he came to podcast movement when we started it you know so i thought he would want to come so i mean it's only a couple of hours for him he's in austin so maybe yeah. he'll come yeah Adam, if you're listening to this, as somebody who's been to BitBlockBoom twice now, it is an incredible conference. And this is a good good segue into the the subject of BitBlockBoom. Like it, the reasons I like it or love it and have had an incredible time uh, the last two years, despite the the midsummer Texas heat, uh, the quality of the people that show up, uh, the focus of the content, and the the small nature and, and very. Uh, uh, like you feel like you you had the conference and then you go to dinners and and you you see everybody from the conference and it's just a get together to talk to people that, that you really respect and admire in the space. Yeah. I want to keep, it's going to stay small, you know, um, which has its pros and its cons to me. It's a better conference. And like I said, I'm 65, so I'm just doing what I like to do. And I like the atmosphere of having a small conference. I just sold a big conference. Like I said, that was, 3,000 people at the, uh, the podcast movement conference. So I'm kind of out of that and I want to do a small conference. So it'll stay small. Um, my thing is I kind of want, you know, like last year, I don't know if you remember when it was over, I now say you got two weeks for the super discounted price and till July to cancel of next year if you can't make it. So it's kind of a no lose deal. I'd like to have it eventually be that when I announce that I sell out, you know, and yeah. people go, I'm getting my ticket because you know, I might not be able to get it. It's going, you know, because we had a lot of people buy last year when I announced that. So I'm hoping it gets better and better and people do that. Um, so, but also, as far as the conference goes, you know, Saturday's really just the conference, the date you gave. But, you know, we ended up on Sunday with a brunch and we have Friday, we have a dinner that uh, Pierre and Michael Bitstein put on, Pierre Richard from the Nakamoto Institute, Satoshi Nakamoto Institute. And we have the Citadel event. I think Matt Odell is going to do an event. I haven't heard from him. And then Thursday, we have a dinner and we have Bitcoin and barbells. And I think um, I think we're going to get um, Brian Lockhart's going to do Bitcoin and bullets again. And uh, then we have 
building your own server uh, on Friday. We have a lot of stuff going on. I eventually would like this to become like people start flying in Monday because there's so many satellite events that I'm not connected with. They're just, you know, coming in because we're all oh, these people are going to be here and they want to be involved. But it's like maybe things start on Saturday, I mean, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and, and build up to Saturday. You know, it's like a, a Bitcoin week kind of thing is what I'd like to have eventually happen. Yeah, it's crazy how uh, sort of organic these side events have happened, like Jeff Andrew with uh, the Bitcoin and barbells, uh, like you mentioned, Pierre and um, Michael with the barbecue the night before the Nakamoto Institute dinner. The year before that, it was a steak dinner. Right. Um, and I believe Safe had a, a carnivore dinner after Saturday this year. Actually wound up uh, getting into a very long, me and a group of people, Rockstar Dev or Dolfo, um, I forget who else was involved in that conversation with an oil baron. I heard about that. <laughs> trying to trying to pitch Bitcoin to him. He I was, heard uh, about that. He was not convinced by the end of the night, but uh, he's uh, very. It's I mean the people you bought. That's what I love about Texas and Dallas particularly because there's a lot of uh, unique personalities down there. Uh, people who just speak their mind, and and Texas is truly free. And you were talking about the heat. That could be a good thing, you know, for us. You know, with this year especially, you know, yeah. so it could be a, another plus for us. Um, but it is hot. And last year, you know, um, Michael Goldstein and Pierre Richard have been very supportive of the event since day one. Um, and uh, during their barbecue event last year, I think they originally had it indoors, but they sold out like in no time at all. So they wanted to get a bigger space. So they moved it at the Ferris wheel, which is outside. And I think that's fine for people like me and Pierre and Michael and people from Texas and areas. But gosh, I feel sorry for people like from Europe that came and Australia, I mean, Australia or from Canada. <laughs> They're not like, you could see, I think if you went over by the fans, I think you could almost maybe 90% of the people standing from fans were above the Mason Dixon <laughs> <laughs> no, if you just dress appropriately, I wore shorts and a t-shirt. I felt fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I felt fine. I mean, I'm used to it though. It's Texas yeah. at night. I mean, you know, it's nothing compared to the day. I'll tell you what. I take the Texas heat to the uh, South Carolina humidity any day of the week. Yes, that that is. Uh, I always agree with that. When I first moved here, it was over. I think it was a record year. They had over 100 degrees for 45 days or something. They even had shirts. I survived the Texas record heat wave. And I was walking around going, this isn't that bad. It's just hot. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know how it is in South Carolina. You take a shower, you get dressed, you're going to go to work. You open the door. And before you get to your car, you're soaking wet. Yeah. You're drenched. Yeah. Sweat. You're just, you're soaked, you know? Um, so and my wife would just die. She goes, I don't know how you live here. I can't even like, get out of the shower and go in the bedroom and get dressed, you know, cause I'm soaked. I mean, and it's not from the shower anymore. Yeah. And then it gets so humid there. You had the palmetto bugs hiding in your, in your bathroom, you wake up to take a shower and they're there waiting for you. It's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of those things. That's for damn yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but so, is going to be fun this year. I'm really excited. Um, so but, go, go ahead. I was going to say, why did you start BitBlockBoom? What drove you to start this conference particularly? Well, you know, I'm Bitcoin? into doing stuff. I mean, and, uh, at the time I was doing the crypto cousins with, um, Tony Sakala was my partner when we first started the show. And, um, we wanted to do a conference and we weren't really, I didn't even know what we were doing. You know, I'd only been in Bitcoin like two months, <laughs> you know, crypto like two months and we started doing it. 
but uh, it just worked and I just wanted to do a conference. It was just going to be a glorified meetup as to be honest with you. But all of a sudden we started, uh, but we asked speakers, we asked safe to come and we asked, we were asking these Pierre to come. We were asking decent people to come. And so other people outside started buying tickets. I mean, and then uh, Saturday we did the conference, which you were at and it turned out to be an okay conference, but Sunday, uh, um, we were at the brunch. Uh, were you at the brunch on Sunday that first time? I can't remember. The first year I did not make the brunch. I had to jet home, but this year I made the brunch. Yeah, we delicious. were there and we were talking. I was talking to Pierre. I mean, to Safe, Safe at Ina Moose, and Safe said to me, "He goes, I think I can truly say this is the first Bitcoin Maximus conference I've been to in North America." And we really didn't plan it to be a Bitcoin Maximus. I guess our interest was just Bitcoin, so. You know, everybody we asked to come speak or did anything with Bitcoin. And, and I kind of like, wow, I didn't even think about that. So I kind of like said, well, that's going to be our, our stick, you know, our thing is that's all I like anyway, really. So we, I, and then I just took it over myself. Uh, Tony had another conference he did. And so he backed out and I, I got a hold of the conference and made it a Bitcoin maximalist conference, basically. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, again, the content's focused. It's not, and, it's not like a conference you go to to just blow smoke up each other's ass. There's no. some good content about uh, things that are forward-looking uh, and ideas that haven't really been explored in depth. The one thing I like is that you bring um, somebody from South... Who's the guy from... Uh, is he from Argentina or um, speaker who spoke both years um, about Bitcoin in Latin America? Oh, Philippe. Oh, I'm pronouncing his last name wrong. I always do Weechweers, I believe, but it starts with an H. I can't. I can't speak Spanish. I can't even roll my tongue anyway. If I lived in If I lived in South America, I would have a speech impediment. <laughs> yeah, but but I, <laughs> I would as well. I, me, hablo, me hablo muy poquito español. Yeah, pero poquito práctica. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, he is. Matter of fact, I just sent him an email this morning. So he's a good guy. We have a good crowd. We, you know, we have. Um, you know, we may have a problem this year with, um, I can't think of uh, names off the top of my head, with, um, oh, give me just a second here. See, I got this is terrible that I have to look this up. Who is, um, oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed that I'm having to look at this. I can't even think of the person. Oh, uh, Stefan. There you go. I thought of it. Stefan. Stefan Levera sent me a message the other day because he's coming in from Australia. And he sent me a message that he's concerned. He's, he's probably my most concerned person about getting here because they had just put, made an announcement that they didn't plan on people being able to fly in or out of the country one or the other until the end of September. Really? Yeah, so that's the only one I really have a problem with at the moment. But he's not, like, canceling. He said that's just what they're saying they haven't cracked down on it because he wants to come yeah you know? so try to keep you abreast of the situation yeah he just wanted to give me a heads up i had it's funny i had someone call me you probably would know this person so i'm not and i'm not going to say his name because it doesn't matter who it is an old-time bitcoiner and he calls me uh last week and goes hey i'm so and so and i didn't i didn't know him you know i don't know a lot of people who've been in this longer than me but i meet him and get to know him and that's one of the reasons I like Big Block Boom. And he goes, I was just wondering, do you have any speaking slots left? I'm going, the conference is like two months. You think I'm just now lining up speakers? <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't think I have that 
goes, oh, yeah, I guess that was kind of a stupid question. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the line, the lineup set. Yeah, 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 the lineup set. I mean, it's, um, you know, like I said, I may have to change out one or two. There may be someone else because I have people coming from Canada. I, mean, I don't know if we'll, I, I would assume by end of August, Canada would be open up. Or I think with who's coming from Canada, they might just drive over the border and catch a flight. Right. Yeah, especially Francis. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, so let's talk about like what are, what are the subjects we're going to be covering this summer. I know Matt and I were doing the live show, and we've got the award show with that dirtbag Al after yeah. well, the let's live talk show. About, let's talk about the, 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 the uh, evening first, I guess, because that's the only thing set in stone as far as what we're doing. Uh, last year, I think Bitblock Boom got over with you guys ending it at 6 o'clock. Y'all started at 5. Yes. Uh, so this year, we'll end... Uh, the last speaker will get through at five and it will take a break from five to let's say six thirty. People can go change clothes, take a shower, sit around, eat, whatever the heck they want to do. And at six thirty we'll come in. And by the time they get there, the bars will be rolled in. Two bars will be rolled in one on each side of the conference room. And we'll have some hors d'oeuvres and stuff. And we'll have from six thirty to seven. We'll just be networking, drinking, talking, and we're really fortunate that this year our platinum sponsor is Unchained Capital. So they've given us uh, uh, paid basically for the party, for the party. So some drinks will be, and our dirs will be sponsored and some drinks up to a certain amount will be sponsored. And then, but the bars will stay there and then you guys will have the stage to do whatever you're going to do from seven to eight. And we'll stream this. We're going to stream everything for free this year. Um, so people can watch and then, at eight, we'll take another half an hour break for some networking or whatever, people to get some drinks. And I, I figured you guys drink on the show a lot, so we might as well do some drinking during your live show, right? Get the whole place drinking. Might as well. Might as well. I think you'll sound a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> and then, it definitely, uh, definitely leads to a more lively conversation. I can say that. And then at uh, 8.30, Dirtbag Al will start the uh, Al's Lacrosse Awards. And, uh, you know, that'll be also streamed and, uh, you know, we're working with him to make up since I own a sporting goods store, I'm used to making plaques and trophies and stuff like that. So we're going to make those up for him here. So he doesn't have to ship them over here and they'll just be at the event for him. And then when that's over, then we'll hang out and have some more drinks. Sounds like a lovely day. It does sound like a lovely day, a lovely way to end it. And we'll start at like, uh. Nine o'clock, I guess, or something. For people want to roll in, I don't have the day figured out yet. Um, I'm uh, I'm happy to hear that you're live streaming everything because last year, uh, people took Brian Bishop's uh, um, his his he he basically what's he do? I forget the word. He wrote down Bitstein's speech and, and posted that to the internet, and people without af- actually having seen the uh, his speech on on memeing Bitcoin went pretty crazy it started a lot of controversy so yes i remember saturday sunday at the brunch bit scene is like hey we need to get that out there and i said okay we'll we'll have it out there and i think we got it out tuesday because i had to edit it and do it you know wasn't done on the fly wasn't done to go out live um so this year and i kind of feel like we need to i kind of feel like michael has gained the honor of he should kick us off saturday you know and get us started on the right track you know after last year I mean, I mean, well, it depends what time it starts because people people slowly roll in if it starts at like nine a.m., ten a.m. Well, that's true too. So <laughs> they want to put like uh, someone else for the first one and give him an hour or two to get give everybody an hour or two to roll in there. 
Yeah. I mean, his speech, I mean, his topic of, and the content of his, his presentation was actually very valuable. And, and this year we have two tracks, which we only had one last year. We have uh, like the first, we're all being, you know, that room's a pretty good sized room with a stage, you know, so that'd be the general track or general session room. And I think we'll all start in there for the first two or three and then break out and the tech track will be going on right next door. So if you're more interested in the tech speakers, like Michael Schmidt or Pierre is going to be on the tech track, you can just go next door for that. And then the last two will be back in the main room. So everybody will be together again. So we're trying to get a little big and, then Thursday night we have a dinner, which all the speakers are invited to. Um, so you're invited. But yeah, you know, I was talking to Pierre last year and his wife, and they were like, "Yeah, we got here Thursday night for Saturday events, and we just went out to eat by ourselves. We'd like to have some place to go, you know, and talk to some Bitcoiners." So I've done a dinner and that sold out already. Um, so, but all like I said, all the speakers get to come, and then so it's a smaller dinner. It's only like seventy five people. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I'm very excited for this. It, again, I've been twice now, and it has never disappointed. The, that's the thing. Like the, After the conference is done, people are hanging out in the hotel lobby until late at night um, at the hotel bar if they keep it open. Well, I think because it's small, you know, like it is, and that it's uh, Bitcoin only. It's not like crypto, which I'm not saying that to knock anyone's whatever they want to like that's up to them i don't care but because they all are one subject based there's a lot of people to talk about the same conversation it doesn't divide up into little groups or clicks because they're all in the same click no i agree i agree and people aren't in a hurry to get out it's not like they're you know also when you go to a bigger event that has let's say um a thousand people like uh bitcoin 2020 which might have two thousand i'm not knocking that event either because i like that event but when you're getting off stage, if you're someone who is kind of uh, seen as being in the limelight, you have a lot of people coming up talking to you at one time. And it's like, you know, you really can't stand there forever talking, you know, because you have a lot of people that want to talk to you. So maybe with it also being a smaller crowd, you're more apt to hang out and talk longer, you know? Yeah. And no, I think, I think, um, yeah, the, the setting and the atmosphere is just, is it's just perfect because, again, the the amount of – it's like a Dunbar's number type thing. It's so small that you can actually have quality conversations with people and not get distracted by a million things going on at once. And then, again, the content is on point and uh, actually very interesting. Yeah, I get a lot of people who I talk to um, that will say things like, oh, my gosh, I was just standing there minding my business, and I looked over there, and there was – Marty and Saifedean and uh, Pierre and, and I went over and talked to him and we talked for like half an hour and I was in the conversation like that's like they weren't expecting to be able to talk to these people who in a sense you know you're celebrities people who do podcasts and do videos I mean you know it's not that we think of ourselves as celebrities and I'm not saying we really are celebrities but you have that tendency for people who listen to you to have that effect of being someone they know and they feel comfortable with and they know who you are and they want to talk to you because they listen to you every week or they watch you every week and they want to meet you, you know, and it's an opportunity where they can, you know, and you're not in a rush to get out of there. So I think that's been a positive. No, I mean, yes, I do not consider myself a celebrity at all. Well, I, I understand. And, 
No, but I, I had that experience. That's the beauty of Bitcoin, really. Like I had that experience myself going to BitDevs meetups for the first time in New York. Like being there, like people I'd only seen and read uh, online, like Peter Todd, uh, John Newberry, uh, Matt Corallo, uh, the developers particularly. And like I was shocked that I was able to get into this event and actually speak to them and they would respond to me. And, yeah, so, like, and that's the same effect. <laughs> you know, that people have, you know, yeah. and no, I, I doubt they consider themselves celebrities, but at that moment in your life to you, they were kind of a celebrity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've told my Peter Todd story on this podcast a couple of times. It was pretty brutal. The first time I uh, tried to interact with him. Oh, um, I, I don't know this story. So we were in union square, New York and across union square, there's uh, a huge clock that has something like 20 digits. It counts down to like the, whatever like the trillisecond or something like that um and it was 7 30 in army time so it was like 19 30 on the clock and the national debt was around 19.5 trillion at the time too and i just moved to new york and uh assumed that that time clock was a national debt clock and so like to try to break the ice with peter todd i looked at him i was like hey uh how prescient is this we're here at a bitcoin meet up and there's a national debt clock across the way and he was like that is a time clock and i was like oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny you know one yeah. of the when i when i first got into bitcoin i'd been into bitcoin less than a month and they had a conference in austin the texas state bitcoin conference which was the texas state bitcoin conference in name only um, I guess they had that domain name, so it was going to be the Texas Bitcoin Conference, whether there was any Bitcoin speakers there or not. And I met Drew. Uh, I'm not sure if pronouncing his last name is it Bonsall with the Unchained Capital. Drew Bonsall, yes. Yeah. And he was like, and I went down there, talked to him into letting me in as the press, and took my video camera, and I knew nothing. I really knew nothing. I didn't understand how Bitcoin worked. I didn't understand anything. And Drew's like, I met Drew, and he goes. Well, what are you filming? I said, well, I don't know anything. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I know nothing. I just wanted to come out here and learn Bitcoin, and I got a press ticket, and I wanted to get interviews because I'm going to start a podcast. And he goes, well, cool. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> and uh, he was, like, really nice and helping me out, you know, saying, hey, this is so-and-so over here and stuff. And I still remember that to this day, how helpful he was, this guy. Well, this old fart, he probably thought. He got this old geezer over here, he probably thought. But how helpful he was to me and how he wasn't uh, – judgmental that here I am at this conference and I know nothing about Bitcoin. I didn't even, I don't even think I understood how blockchain worked, you know, yet. Yeah. Dhruv is a, is a legend. I love Dhruv. He's been on this show many times and uh, he's one of the great minds in this space. His, his stuff on HODL waves and what they're doing in Unchained is, is incredible. Well, he's speaking on the tech track, you know, at, um, at along with, um, you know, Parker, you know, is also speaking, uh, but he's speaking on the general track. So uh, Parker and Lewis, so we, you know, we got a good lineup this year, but you know, the thing is, you know, I do this lineup, you know, way ahead of time. I'm not like, I'm, I work on this conference all year. I mean, it's not like I just blow it together the last few weeks before it starts. And that's, how I think, you know, there were glitches last year, but I don't think anyone noticed them, but I did. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not like we just throw this together at the last minute. We've been working on this since the last one ended, you know? Yeah. Um, no, and I mean, I I didn't notice any glitches last year. Matt and I love being a part of it. I'm honored that that you would 
think to to include us on the track and the live episodes that we do are always some of the best and some of the most fun. And well, so, I don't I don't know how I came up with this year having everybody at the drinking while yours was going on. It seems like a natural thought now, you know, now that it's out there. And then when Alice Lacrosse contacted me, I was like, he was going to do it at some bar or somewhere. I was like, dude, I've got that room. Well, I thought I had the room till 11 o'clock and I had it till I went yesterday to meet with him. I had it till six. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of screws up all my plans, but man, we got to work on this. So I had to do some uh, more negotiations to get the, to keep it, uh, till that time. I don't know what, why I was thinking in my mind that I had it so much later. Um, but uh, yeah, everything's cool now. So we got it all set up. I think when they heard that there was more liquor being bought involved, they were happy to get room. Yeah. That, uh, that'll always, that'll always hook in the, the event, yeah. uh, staff. Yeah. Cause, yeah, cause I'm sure uh, I sent them a message today and said, how much are the drinks <laughs> there by chance? You know, if you order them, because they're going to be different ordering them off the cart being rolled in than they are in the bar. Yeah, because they charge like 20% gratuity on everything or tax or whatever, you know, right off the bat. And then everybody's leaving tips. You know, technically, no one should leave them a tip. I'm already giving 20% of the whole bill is gratuity. So, but whatever. Yeah. Doesn't bother me. I mean. No. And, uh, no. So, I'm looking forward to the event. Where can we find out more about it? Like, are tickets sold out yet? No, Name no. They out? are for anything to do with the dinner. If they go to bitblockboom.com, they can find out there. There's several pages on there. But if they use the code, um, what is it? RHR? Rabbit Hole Recap? They get 30% off? Yeah, RHR, I believe. Yeah, RHR. They get 30% off the price of a ticket. But we're going to, like I said, we'll be sold out by the time it happens. So, they shouldn't be you know, messing around because it will sell out. And I'm pretty strict on it. Last year, I was pretty strict. When I get a limit, I get a limit. You know, I'm not like a whore going, ah, I can get 10 more people in there. You know? What is, uh, what's the limit this year? Uh, 300. You know? Nice. I think that may stay the limit. That may be the permanent limit. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think if I get much bigger than that, it just is not going to be as much fun for me. It's going to be a lot more work. And uh, two tracks. Like I said, I thought we'd try a second track this year because last year, you know, we would have someone talking and everybody be enjoying it. And then, for instance, uh, Mike Schmidt got up there and talked. And half the audience is like, what in the hell is he talking about? You know, because Mike is so funny. He goes, see this mathematical formula? And he's showing a formula on the screens. He's going, you know what that means? I don't know what it means. <laughs> uh, he was talking about, wasn't he talking about Taproot or yeah, Schnorr? I, I think it was Schnorr maybe. Yeah, but he was like showing mathematical formulas. And half the audience... So I thought we needed to like, I thought that was an important part. So I thought we need to move it up. What I'd like to do next year, and if anyone who can help me with this is listening, I would like to next year try to have, you know, from what I understand, Bitcoin Core, they have meetings throughout the year at different places. Is incorporate that in one of the days before the event or, you know, as part of, part of it that the Bitcoin Core people are coming to have their in-person meetings that they have. Yeah, they some core members do an in-person meeting. I think once a year, but the yeah. Bit Devs meetups, which are not necessarily even run by core developers, but just enthusiasts, the Socratic seminars. That would be a good idea to have a Socratic seminar. Yeah, see, uh, maybe like the Thursday before before mm-hmm. dinner or something like that. Yeah, I agree completely. I, w- I want to get more things. I wasn't even familiar with that, and maybe that's what I was thinking of even, and I said the wrong thing. You know? Yeah, no. I th- I think the, the Socratic de- seminars are pretty popular. There's one in Austin. I think there might be one in Dallas too. Unchained hosts the one in Dallas or Austin, excuse me. Um, 
Yeah, I'm happy to have Unchained involved with it this year. Um, I'm real happy because that's the reason we can do the night event, you know, is because yeah. of them being involved. So that's basically being all thrown and in, probably into the event. Yeah, yeah no, they they got a great team. They'll put uh, put out some great content. I'm actually, I have Parker's latest Gradually Then Suddenly blog post tabbed up here to read after after we're done recording on the beach. He's a smart guy. He really is. He's a nice guy too. Very, very nice guy. I, um, yeah, yeah. Everything's going great though. Yeah, I'm really so I'm excited to be on the show. I'm excited to see everybody. I'm excited to. I hope people take advantage of the discount. I hope people come. I hope a lot of things. You know, one thing that's kind of harder about doing this conference than some other conferences, I think, is because of the fact I'm really hardcore on who can be involved, um, even as sponsorships goes. I've had to turn down almost everybody who's wanted to sponsor it because they're always shit coiners or people who, you know, think there's a lot of Bitcoiners there they can come take advantage of and turn it into a shit coin convention, you know, and you know, there is no boss marketing company for Bitcoin you know, to get to sponsor right. it, you know, where there would be, if I was a Bitcoin cash convention, I'm sure I could get a bunch of money from Roger Veer. So that makes okay. it harder to a degree, you know, I know that struggle. I know that struggle. Um, <laughs> But no, it is. That's another thing I love about it. As your principled, um, the the content is very focused on Bitcoin, which is what I'm looking to get out of a conference. Like in New York, some of the conferences that come through there, there's, it's just too all over the place. That I just like to hang out outside the conference and meet with Bitcoiners when they're done um, networking inside the confines of of the, of the conference of the week. You know, I've done. You know, my wife always gives me a hard time when I come home from conferences because I never really spend a lot of time in the conference room. Uh, personally, I feel I can watch all that stuff on video later. I spend all my time when I go to a conference in like the hallways, I call it. You know, networking in the hallways, talking to people, going to the events at night. I do much better and learn much more information, I feel, or information I want from networking with that crowd than I do sitting in a chair all day, taking notes. It's yeah. just what works for me though. No. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but don't sell yourself short. I do actually like the presentations at pit block. Boom. I try to have good people. I mean, if you're, if you want presentations, I try to have good people there. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not saying I don't have great presenters by any means. I think I have some of the best. I'm just saying that's not how I learn. I think, but then again, no hell I don't know. Being a old boomer, I don't know if I remember anything anymore. Anyway, <laughs> that's a good ooh. I sneeze. <laughs> excuse me. I try to use that um, boomer card as an excuse whenever I can. <laughs> what's it like being a boomer Bitcoiner? Um, it's, you're running nodes. You're you're on Lightning. Yeah, what's that yeah. been like? Uh, well, you know, it's um, some things are harder to work with. Like Matt helped me on uh, setting up my node. Um, being honest, with you, we actually talked on the phone. I think and he helped me, but. Some things don't, uh, I've, you know, I've been on the net a long time. You know, I started my first e-commerce site in 96. So it's not like I've just done this, but I, I can't code. And a lot of things I'm doing for the first time with working with this. You know, so as far as setting up nodes and stuff, it was kind of, but I, I, I set up a nine, start nine. Are you familiar with those? No, it's that. It's a Raspberry Pi uh, mini surfer that you can spin up and it has a full copy of the blockchain on it has a wallet on it. It runs Tor. 
and it has an app that comes to your iPhone or Android phone that you can run everything with the app. I met them at Tone's conference in, in Vegas. Um, and he's speaking, Matt is uh, with them, or speaking Matt Hill at the, on the tech track. But it's like the easiest thing I've ever set up out of, every, out of the Casa, out of the Hano, I mean, out of everything. I just actually plugged it in downloaded the app on my phone, put in the, the serial number for the start nine server. And in like a minute I was in business and then I've downloaded, uh, they have a, a tour communication app on there called C cups. I think it's called cups. Uh, I can look at the server. I've got a full copy of that of Bitcoin. I pruned the copy and uh, it was the easiest buy. I, I'm interviewing him Monday for crypto cousin show. Cause I want to find out, it looks like it is a really good tool, you know? So Hell yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen start nine, you ought to look at that. I, when I saw it, I just bought one just to screw around with it. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta look into it. I haven't heard of that yet. Yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot. Uh, yeah. Cause I just, I'll definitely go to that presentation at, at BitBlockBoom. Yeah. I've met a lot of people, you know, through BitBlockBoom though. And that's, what's been good for me as a boomer. I just like meeting people and associating with people and getting to know new stuff. But you know, um, we're starting a TV show that, you probably don't know that. There's a, nice. t- there's a TV network called BizTalk TV Network. And they have, I think, 80 channels that are affiliates across the country. They're in Charleston, South Carolina, Dallas, Houston, all the major cities. And um, I think next Thursday we record the first episode of the Bitcoin Boomer Show. <laughs> Hell yeah, who's on it with you? It's just me. And I'll bring people on kind of like I do the crypto, kind of like you do. But, uh, you know, they have like a cameraman there that does all the work. I just show up in the studio and say, here's who we're bringing on. And, you know, he does all the rest. Well, let me know if you ever need a, a guest to come on. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely planning on bringing you on. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, I definitely uh, plan on bringing you on. I think we do 13 episodes of first season. So, yeah, you'll be getting a call from me real soon. I love that. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to get, get to people, too, TV. Um, well, I figure most boomers watch TV. I, I don't right. consider myself the normal boomer. I am a boomer, but I don't consider myself the normal boomer. The normal boomers are the people I hang out with who I, I get really bored real quick because they just want to talk about hanging out at their house or playing golf, you know, which golf's fine, but I don't have time for that, you know. The normie boomers, yeah. the normers. So I'm kind of uh, hoping that maybe the norm or the station believes that, or the network or whatever you want to call it, believes that uh, their target market is uh, boomers that have money, you know, and older people that have money, and they felt like this would be a great show for their boomer population that they could sell, you know. So, hell yeah. Well. I'm very excited to see what that's like. I can't wait to see. Yeah, it'd be nice just to walk in the studio and just do my shtick and get out of there and leave. <laughs> yeah. That'll, um, yeah, let me know when that drops. I want to look into that. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll let you know the local uh, channel because it's on air. It's not a cable channel. It's an on-air channel. Okay. So I don't know how that works, but I know a lot of people dropped the, have dropped cable and have antennas now, so I don't know if that's good or bad. But I know they're in 80-something markets. You know, they have 80-something affiliates that run the show. Hey, anyway, you can chill Bitcoin. Yeah, that's well, a good way. Can't, it can't hurt. I just it's five minutes from here, and I drive over there for an hour, and I can talk. You know, so yeah, it's not bad at all. Yeah. Gary, it's been a pleasure. I'm very excited for Bitblock Boom. I can't wait to to get back to Dallas. I think it will probably be the first traveling I do out since, gosh, I don't even remember when. 
know, we're trying to find a sponsor for masks. <laughs> I think those would make a great collector's piece for Bitball Boom. You know, Bitball Boom mask sponsored by. <laughs> yeah, if um, anyone wants if to any... sponsor those, call me. <laughs> Go to pitblockboom.com. At Gary Leland on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Is there um, is there anything else you want to uh, get out to the freaks there before we wrap um, up here? Let me look real quick. Uh, I think that you know. Um, can we give away a free ticket? Yeah, we certainly can. How can we do that? What do we do? Let's have a contest of some kind that I can check uh, uh, and give them a ticket, free ticket for listening. Do you have? Do you have a trivia question that you can ask off the top of your head? Somebody can DM me the answer. Um, a trivia question. I'm sure I have a lot of trivia questions, but now that you've asked me, that makes it kind of hard, Marty. Now that you've asked uh, me to come up with a trivia question, and I don't want you, I don't want people to follow me and do that crap, you know, to win it, you know. No, I don't want that either. Yeah, I'm not so into that. <laughs> Okay, why don't you think of a trivia question and I'll post it um I'll post it at the end of the episode before I post it um to the uh post it next week. That sounds good. So that makes sure everybody listens to the whole episode. Oh, that uh, sounds to get to the trivia question. That sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah, cuz I, I I should be able to think of one, but uh I can't. You know what I do want to know though? What's I'd like that? to know when Oh, this could be the question. The first person to send me a message that says the exact date of when the first time anyone ever saw anything about Bitcoin. The first time Satoshi posted anything would be the first time. That'd be the boy paper, right? Yeah, well, what, what day was it posted? Isn't that a trivia question? Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, so what day was that posted? What Exactly what day was that? When the... When he, what would that be the first time or would it be was there like maybe a post earlier that said hey i'm working on this thing called bitcoin well is it public posting or private emails no public private. posting first time people okay. saw something about bitcoin all right you've got the trivia question freaks anybody looking for a free ticket to bitblock boom and you just uh tag at gary leland and uh at bit, tag at bitblock boom. Don't even tag me. Tag at bitblock boom. Yeah. Respond. Yeah. Uh, respond to the tweet yeah. that this this podcast was announced on. Yeah, that sounds good. That yeah, sounds good. And then I will uh, first person to get it. Is that what I should do, or should I do like a drawing out of the winners, the out of the people well, who get it right, or what should I do? Uh, How do we want to do I that? Think, I think I'm. It's. It's your giveaway. Well, uh, but I'm easy. I I, can I like I like first. I don't know how to do like the randomized stuff on Twitter. I don't either. I, were to, I don't want to learn that either. Yeah, unless I were to, like you would have to write the names on paper, put them in a hat, and yeah. then you have to then you have to have the contestants trust that you're doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah and they can't they can't verify it. Exactly. <laughs> so first may be the best way. That sounds like a good plan to me. So that would be that's the contest fine. is you know because I have something I want to. I, I, that, that's a good information there. Makes them do a little research. Because nobody knows that off the top of their head. I might. Do you really? Do you know that off the top of your head? Yeah, I'm not going to say it now because oh. I'll answer the question and yeah. repeat the purpose. Well, I have no idea when it is. Yeah. Uh, should we make it harder? Let's make it harder for the freaks. Okay. Uh, the exact date and time, UTC time. Oh, there you go. Down to the second. That sounds good. 
And, and now I got to find this so I can check it and see who won. I'll send it to you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because I have um, no idea. I've never needed that piece of information. It's, uh, I know exactly where I was when, when this stuff happened. Okay. So that's, that's the clue. You get one free general admission ticket to BitBlock with them. Yeah. You know. Well, get on it, freaks. Gary, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure learning about your history, learning that you're from Charleston, you're a surfer, uh, free spirit. Really admire your uh, your approach to life, like you were saying before we hit record too, that things just work out and kind yeah, of that mentality if you're a good person. Yeah, I don't worry about anything. Everything works out. It always does. 65 and everything's worked out. I don't think it's all going to go to hell my last 15 years of life. You know, yeah, that's how so I look at it. Than, I'm on a downstroke now. You know. You got more than 15 in you, Gary. I mean, I got 20. You know, there's a certain point you just start drooling and stuff probably, and you have a drool cup you carry with you, and no one wants to talk to you because you're filling your drool cup up. (laughs) Well, here's to uh, pushing off the drool cup as long as possible. (laughs) Thanks. All right, Gary. Um, Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Thanks. Enjoyed it. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love.